Hey there, everybody. I'm really not that great at like scripting a thing to do before the podcast, so I'm going to try to wing it because this is something that does have to be discussed, and I think it's really neat, and I, and I need special attention. So I got a neighbor, great guy, fantastic neighbor. Literally, you could rank him up there, top neighbor in the United States. His name is Anthony Pariscando, hardworking guy, great family man, uh, fantastic to me and my family. You know, just the type of neighbor he'll come in. I think I told the story about him once where he just walked in and he had like 10 uh, fried soft-shell crab that he just plopped on the table, called out to my father and me, and then left. And we, like I said, we devoured it. But <clears throat> nonetheless, I come home from work and uh, Anthony, uh, who who works in conjunction with the Troop Relief Fund, it's called, uh, and it is a uh, it is a fund that helps support the troops by donating uh, vehicles uh, to to him and 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 stuff like that. So you know, so what you have to do, especially here throughout Staten Island, you support the the troops with it. It's very quick, very easy. They tow the cars, working or not. It's got a nice tax deduction, and it's very incentivized because you're helping uh, the troops uh, and local veterans. Everything goes to the local veterans in the New York area. So uh, he gets a call from now. This is where it becomes. It's kind of like a. It's kind of like a two way plug thing here because Anthony is really a great guy and he and he works with um with getting unwanted vehicles and and vehicles that uh, you know maybe you don't have any use for anymore that he can get them out off your hands and get them into uh, get the to an organization that's going to help uh, veterans and stuff. And now he gets a call from um, some individuals. I, I didn't get their names. I didn't get that down. But uh, from the, the uh, Five Boroughs Brewing Company. Which, uh, as you know, because you are all uh, followers of the show, the, one of their beers, which was featured here, especially in season two, was the uh, Five Borough Pilsner, which stayed on. Ooh, some little static there, which stayed on the Mount Rushmore throughout the entire season and carried over till today, um, just like Lucius, uh, Luscious or Lucius did Citrus Snuggy and Kegnog. Even though Eastern Standard took over for the ale department, but nonetheless. Their, their Pilsner in the logging department was absolutely fantastic. And what had happened was when Anthony had realized that he was at a, you know, that, you know, he was at a brewery and he was to helping uh, them arrange the donation for the troops. Um, he had said, you know, my neighbor, he does a beer podcast and it would be wonderful. If, like, you know, maybe he can give him something to review and stuff like that. And now the, the people who were there, they were just so gracious. They handed over case. Uh, like, I think, let me see. I think it was like five six packs of their, um, whatchamacallit, of their City Light, which is their unfiltered light lager made with Saj hops, premium German malts and New York City water, a seriously uh, serious beer that is also seriously sessionable. So now, um, as you know, the the um, the Pilsner, which made it onto the, uh, the Mount Rushmore, was really one of the better Pilsners that I've had that's craft pretty much ever because it's really hard to, uh, to nail those, you know, to, to get those right. And what happened was with with the City Light, and uh, as I drink it, it's basically that beer, okay, just off the taste. So what happened was I got home, and everyone was like, here, look at all this beer. This is great. And there was two that were unlabeled, which I learned from being in uh, with the interview with Flagship, is that if some things are mislabeled or some things don't uh, go right with terms of, like, packaging in the can, they have to put it to the side. You can't put that product out. Not that there's anything wrong with the beer. So when we were actually at Flagship, they were like, here's our fridge of mislabels and stuff. Have at it. And we made out like bandits. So there was uh, four cans of unlabeled beer. And they were like, try it and see if you could tell us what it is. This was a really fun moment for me as a 
you know, seasoned, I guess, beer drinker. You know, we're going to be doing episode 157 right now. And, um, you know, it was just, it was fun for me. And I cracked it open and I poured it out. And immediately just by seeing it and the aroma, I was like, this is their Pilsner, 100%. This is what this is. And uh, <coughs> naturally, I, I took a sip and it, and it was their Pilsner. And what confirmed it for me was when I had the City Light. The City Light is basically their Pilsner, unfiltered, and just it doesn't pack as much of a punch. So I think they're just, maybe they scale back on the ingredients a little bit. I'm not sure. I'm not going to put that out there. And, you know, I mean, this is beer that was donated to me. I am going to give it a fair shake. I, I Like I've always said, if beer is ever donated to me, or even it's my own beer, I'm going to rate it as as a beer drinker. I'm not going to give anyone special privilege, even though it was donated. I do thank them very much. I think this is really fantastic. I thank Anthony very much for thinking of me in that moment. And um, so it is the... Pilsner, but <clears throat> it's just light. And now, so one of the things that I'll say is that it was, pr it's pretty good. You know, it just doesn't have as much oomph as the Pilsner does. So it's kind of like teasing you a little bit, but at the same time, you're having a really good Pilsner or really good lager beer. And um, what was funny was, um, <laughs> I actually, what I didn't like of it, so it's 4.2% uh, alcohol by volume. And I'm like, that's fine. I don't mind. But here I am just just putting these things away. And of course, it's just nothing happening, right? So these are really, really great in terms of a session beer that you could have at a barbecue and stuff like that. But the one thing that I was like, I was, I felt so snooty by saying this. I was like, I wish they had just said that it was sessionable and not light because light gives such a negative connotation. And I felt like such an ass, but it is true. And I do understand what they're trying to do because they are trying to compete with other beers that just feature the word light on them. And then, you know, it's very easy for the layman to pick up on what's happening there. For me, if I saw it as um, their Pilsner Session, you know, or a Session Pils, which is a little, you know, oddish because, you know, they're pretty low ABV as is, I would be more inclined to say, well, I would give that a try. But nonetheless... You know, the, the, the regular Pilsner is a 5%. This one is a, a 4.2. And it just doesn't have as much of a punch, but it is still quite delightful to 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 drink. Now, right now, I'm having the, uh, the Pilsners because I had a couple left over. And this is what I'm having before I do the show. And I just thought it was really, really wonderful. And I want to thank Five Boroughs Brewing Company for what they did here in terms of donating this beer to me. I'm really, really excited about it. And I think it's really neat. And I have a whole bunch of beer that I can like. That I could have, that I like, that I could have for for a little while, and um, you know, it got me onto their website. And you know, like I said, I always tell everybody to try to support your local breweries and stuff like that. And I think it's important to do so. This is a place that I got to get to, and I know I do have to do. I feel like I have a lot of responsibility to, to trying to get to flagship, trying to get to to Killsborough, and I, you know, supporting those businesses. I think it's important, and I do think that in between, when I do have extra time and extra cash. I think it's uh, it's appropriate for me to support these places. So I want to thank them for for uh, reaching out here and and providing this beer. I think it's fantastic. Really check them out if you can. They're right over the bridge, um, and they really make a, a quality product here. I'm not gonna lie. So far, they've they've hit it out of the park with everything I've had, even the light one. And I'm not a big on the light, but here we are. It's pretty darn good. So thanks to Anthony Pariscan once again the Troop Relief Fund. <coughs> Anything like uh, you know you want to get. Um, a car, you want to donate it to, you don't know who to donate it to, give Anthony Parascando a call and he will he will take care of it for you and make sure that that money uh, and that car 
makes its way to the troops uh, and the veterans uh, that uh, and they deserve it because uh, their service is needed and appreciated. Thanks again, guys, and uh, please enjoy the show. Welcome to Three Beers In, a craft podcast with beer news and reviews. Here's your host, Dominic Ribello. Oh goodness gracious! You know I gotta, you know I gotta wait for the drop. Hold on, now. hold on now. Here it comes. Oh, we love it. Three beers in, ladies and gentlemen. I had to start the show because I was getting lit. I'm not gonna lie. Okay, it was, I'm sitting down here. I'm drinking these beers, and it is, it is getting crazy. Episode 157, The Shape of Hops to Come by Nishanami Creek Brewing Company. Oh, at a Croydon, Pennsylvania, and I am enjoying it. I'm going to give you a little bit of a sneak preview. I've been enjoying it. But episode 157, thank you for staying tuned after the cold open, and here we are. Yet again, ladies and gentlemen, fresh off of the fight of our century, where we saw Deontay Wilder get beaten by Tyson Fury, I enjoyed the fight. I know this isn't a sports podcast, but still, it was an interesting thing to see, and something that I would say I did enjoy. As I said, I have been getting, <clears throat> I'm getting a little, a uh, little, little toasty down here, drinking what I've been drinking. And uh, I just did a whole lineup on it and everything like that. It's just really, really nice. A whole review to be lined up. First and foremost, a meniscus update, uh, update here. Much worse. Much worse. But before I start, I said I had to start this show soon because I got one more of these to go. And I think that might put me over the edge and I might start screaming about things that I probably shouldn't scream about. Like religion and stuff and politics. So I'm not going to do that. Because you know how when the beer flows, those conversations happen. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put you people in that situation. So anyway, the meniscus. As you know, it's torn. As you know, it's torn. My meniscus broke. And it really hurts. I'm torn and I'm ashamed. I can't walk down the stairs that good. Um, thank you, thank you very much. Uh so yeah, it's all fucked up. This shot, I don't know if it takes time to kick in, but it, it hasn't been. Okay, it hasn't been kicking in. Uh, it's gotten worse, and that makes me believe that they're going to probably have to do surgery. God damn it! That and Beverage Island still isn't open yet. I'm going to fucking... I'm losing it. Okay, people. Okay, this is probably the last episode. JK, not the last episode. Going to keep powering through. I don't want to sit here and just whine, bitch, and moan about the problems that I have. Because you guess what? You came here to have a nice show packed with beer news and reviews, according to this woman... Okay, Welcome right to here. Three Beers she Ed, welcomed a you. Craft podcast with you hear her? news and reviews. Here's your host, Dominic Ribello. It is a craft podcast of beer news and reviews. When I did the change over to season two, right, I was trying to find some. I think I talked about this. I was trying to find someone to to give me an intro, and she did, and I never included it. But now it's included. So thank you, thank you, M Melissa. I think her name was for including uh, yourself in this wonderful project. I want to thank all my friends in uh, France and France. All my fans in France. I mean, really, I can't believe that there's hundreds of people listening from France. 
and all of you from around the United States that continue to tune in, God bless you wholeheartedly, because this show would not continue if you all didn't listen. So that's it for the meniscus update, and uh, also for the thanks. I will always thank you all. But I want to tell you a little bit of a story, a little bit of a story about my family, okay? Now, this might get a little bit boring, so skip ahead if you continue hearing about genealogy. But I will, I have to share this because I just, for me, this was ticklish. You know, it tickled me and it was, it was trippy. So, uh, as some of you may know, uh, people who know me personally, I, I have a side of my family, my mother's side of the family, their last name is Deppy, and there's Deppy Place on Staten Island here, and that was named after my great, great, great grandfather, uh, where he built uh, several houses there and a castle to be, you know, which is pretty trippy. And he also put a couple of, he also built steeples, a few steeples on some old churches that exist here on the island. Uh, that's a little bit of the history there. But nonetheless, uh, I was having dinner with the family on Thursday night. Everyone gets together. My sister comes over, brother-in-law. Everyone gets together. It's really, really nice. And the argument started up again that the Depi name was indeed French. And I know for a fact that it isn't French. I know that it's German because I read the book House of Depi, written by Robert E. Depi, right? Now, I was like, I said to my mother, I was like, get the book. Get the book out. I know it's not French. It ain't French. Get the book. I'm going to read the book. So I go through the book and I go through everything. I find Heinrich Depi, the like original Depi. Uh, and, you know, he was born in uh, Lippe, I think it is, L-I-P-P-E, Germany, which is a part of the tip of Bavaria in the middle of Germany. It's just, you know, it's a place, right? So now I'm going through the book here, and I, I realized that the author of the book, Robert E. Deppie, wrote his uh, phone number down and his address. It was in Phoenix, Arizona. And I was like, I'm going to call this number and see what happens. So I gave the number a call, disconnected, right? He put down the phone number of his son. Right, which was Robert Deppy, I think the second, right? Called that number out of service. And my mother was like, Here, check out this Google search that I found. And it was like one of those generic, like, uh, we found people online type things. And I was scrolling through and I really had to scroll a bit. And I'm, I'm just like, I'm not even really care. I'm not, not that I didn't care, but I'm just scrolling through, not really paying too much mind or too much attention to anything. And I find a Robert E, a Robert Deppy, no E, that was 102 years old. I was like, I'm going to call this number. Let's see what happens. I call the number. It engages, and a, a voicemail comes up. I forgot the name of the answer machine. I forgot what was said. And I said, hey, my name is Donald Corbello. Uh, I'm from Staten Island, New York. I have in my possession here the House of Deppie book, um, you know, written by Robert E. Deppie, just trying to make contact with somebody and see what's up, you know, um, if this person's still around or anybody in this family, you know, just get back to me and stuff like that, whatever, if you want to talk genealogy. <laughs> Hang up. A week later goes. And it's actually last Saturday. Um, I get a phone call that you know. I get a lot of these fucking Chinese robot calls. A ton of them, and I get calls from people trying to offer me a, a updated warranty on a car I don't own. It's fucking leased. Okay, why am I going to borrow? You know, it's just out of control. So I don't answer the phone really that much if I don't know the number. Number comes in, and I get a voicemail, and I turn it on. And let me see if I can actually. Maybe I'll bring it up here. Hold on. I'm going to bring it up. Hold on one second. Hold on. Okay, so I have the voicemail here, and this is what I received. Oh, uh, my name and, is uh, Oops, excuse me. I did not know Hello. that uh, this was from this woman. It's, her name is Jane Deppy. And when I hit play on this voicemail, I got this rush of just excitement. It's so hard to describe. I'm going to play the voice before you so you could hear it, and, and, and you know, just so you could be in on what's going on here with me right now. 
Jane Deppie, and I'm returning a call from Dominic Ribello from last week. Uh, you had called my home about a genealogy uh, book that was the House of Deppie. And uh, yes, it was written by my father-in-law, Robert Emanuel Deppie. And so uh, my, he uh, passed in 2007. He was a retired Army lieutenant colonel. And my husband was his son, Robert E. Deppie II. And he passed four years ago. So that's why I'm calling you. But he did, if you would like to talk to me about it, uh, you can call me back at 480-837-8019. And he did write the book, The House of Deppie. Okay, thank you very much, and have a nice night. Bye-bye. Now, I haven't called this woman back yet, but I real I intend to do so because... I just think this is so fucking cool. I mean, everyone's different in terms of what they're into and stuff. Genealogy to me, I think, is interesting. I'm a huge student of history as it is. So just the fact that I'm able to speak to somebody, you know, like this. The only Deppie I ever knew, I, I did meet my grandfather, Walter Deppie, um, when I was young. I remember him. I have three memories of him because I was three years old when he died. Uh, and then the only other deputy that I know is my mother uh, and my grandmother, of course, who passed away when I was, uh, I think, 11 or 14 years old. I, I can't remember. But none of them were like um, true deputies, I want to say. I mean, that sounds terrible. But nonetheless, you know, it was all marriage and stuff like that. But this was the guy who, who so Walter Deppie, who's my grandfather, his father's father's father. Okay, you follow him? His brother. So my great-great-grandfather was Friedrich Adolf Deppi. Apologizing for the Adolf there, but that was a different time. Friedrich Adolf Deppi, who came to... Oh, I'll get to that in a second. So Friedrich Adolf Deppi had three brothers. Um, uh, it was a Charles James and, and Johann something, I think, right? Whatever. Anyway, one of the brothers is the, grand, is the great-grandfather of or the grandfather of the guy who wrote the book, right? So the guy who wrote the book so is the uh the his his uh grandfather was my great great no his great great grandfather was my great 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 grandfather's brother. Crazy lineage, you got to trace it all back. But the funny thing about it was when these when this deputy that came to Staten Island, settled Staten Island, his two brothers went to uh Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, which I've been to. And Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, they all emigrated within six years of each other, and none of them ever knew that they did. For 20-plus years, the three Deppie brothers from the Heinrich Heinrich, uh, or was it Henry Heinrich, was the original Deppie from Germany that had these boys. They had no idea that they lived in, the, in America. And then finally, when they were able to, uh, like, they found out that they were all in America, then they ended up getting together and spending the rest of their days in frequent contact and visiting with each other often because they were three brothers. But can you imagine because of the, you know, the, you know, lack of information, lack of being able to get messages back and forth, these three brothers settled in America in three completely separate places, all within about 200 miles of each other, mind you, or 150 miles, maybe even 100 miles of each other, Never knew it and lived extremely successful lives. I was reading about Robert, who wrote the book, his grandfather. I mean, the guy was huge in Jim Thorpe. Then he went on to have a lustrous life. And the same uh, with the other brother that was in Philadelphia. And they never knew each that they were all here for 20, over 20 years. 
which I think is just so, so cool. So I haven't given Jane a call yet, but I will do that soon because I do want to get in touch with her and just tell her like how, I mean, to me, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened, right? I'm getting in touch with the, the great, 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 great. Actually, it's five. It was the fifth. He's the fifth generation, I think. Fifth generation Deppy, right? And it was funny because I was like, you know, all these Deppies, right, that they came to Staten Island, they're all buried in back in my backyard in Fairview Cemetery. And it's so funny because I vacationed to Jim Thorpe at least three times. And the Deppy that's that comes to the lineage here through Jane Deppy, he's buried in a Fairview Cemetery in Carbon County, Pennsylvania, which is right where. I, so I'm sitting here and I'm walking the streets. Of my great 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 grandfather's brother, and he's buried not too far from where I'm hanging out on a little bit of a vacation. I know that seems a little nerdy and stuff, but I, to me, that's really freaking cool. And um, I just wanted to share that with you guys because, listen, this podcast is is a little um, a little glimpse into my life, and it's a big part of my life. And I really appreciate everyone that listens. I really and truly do. You know, everyone that comes in here and listens. It's, it's really, really something else. Not too much beer news. Like I said, last week even was a pretty um, quiet beer news week. But we have, uh, I, I came across a blurb from somebody on a forum that I want to share with you guys and maybe one or two articles. So uh, let's get to the hop of the week and then um, then we'll hit the news. Okay. Hop of the week here is Admiral Hop. Admiral. Admiral is an excellent mid-season hop. Variety that's derived from the grandparent challenger and likely parent Northdown. Its exact lineage is unclear. It's high, uh, hailing from Y College, England. Uh, it was released in the brewing world in 1998 as a potential high alpha replacement or complementary addition to Target Hops. It features higher acid content than either of its elders, possesses aggressive but smooth bittering, uh, bittering qualities, and boasts an orange, citrus, and herbal resonance, making it perfect for uh, more bitter pale ales and ESBs. Chapel Down employs Admiral almost exclusively in its curious porter due to its astounding, outstanding uh, bittering abilities. So its characteristics are aggressive but smooth bittering with orange, citrus, and herbal resonance. Uh, it is a bittering hop, and the alpha acid composition is anywhere from 13% to 16.2%. Uh, and the substitutes are Chinook, North Down, Challenger, Centennial, Cascade, Amarillo, and Target. And again, it is in extra special bitters, ESBs, uh, American India Pale Ales, Belgian India Pale Ale, Imperial India Pale Ales, India Pale Ales, Pale Ales, and bitters. That's what we have here for the uh, for the hops of the week. And now we're going to go on to the news. As I said, it was not an overly crazy beer news week. Uh, it slowed down quite a bit, to be honest. But we have a couple things here we can talk about. Mm. I'm so glad I have one more of these beers because it is that delightful. Uh, Lagnuus Brewing, I know they're not craft anymore, but their CEO has resigned amid slow growth in the craft beer sector. It says here, according to the Press Democrat, the chief executive of Lagnuus Brewing Company of 
Petaluma announced Thursday she's leaving the company after nearly five years, as its Dutch parent company apparently is asserting more control over the pioneering and idiocentric craft brewing department. Maria Stiff's last day is Friday, and she'll be replaced by Dennis Peak, managing director of Heineken Canada and a longtime veteran of the Amsterdam-based company. The announcement comes after Lagunitas has gone through two spates of layoffs since 2018 under Stiff's tenure. She's worked to realign the brewing company amid slow growth in the U.S. craft brew uh, beer sector. Maria has decided to pursue a different challenge in her career. I'd like to thank Maria for her leadership, yada, yada, yada. And basically, it's like, mm, who cares? Who cares? I don't, I don't care about what you're doing because you're one of those losers I'm not going to say a loser, but she's somebody that's um, in the upper echelon rubbing elbows with the fat cats that are trying to kill this craft brew industry. Here we have another article here, moving along here, from Newsner.com. And this is a Florida brewery brewery sells beer cans with edible six-pack rings that feed sea animals and not kill them, unlike the plastic Six-pack rings that have been known to cause deaths and deformities in sea animals like turtles. Buying the beer by Saltwater Brewery means that you will be saving the environment one six-pack at a time. How inspirational is that? Plastic six-pack rings have no long-lasting, uh, have nothing but long-lasting and devastating effects on marine wildlife across the world. But one brewery in Florida seems to have come up with a solution that can be adopted by companies globally. You still get to enjoy your beer, and that, too, can be had guilt-free. Saltwater Brewery recently released their innovation that is a sustainable option. Uh, If the next six-pack you pick up is by this brewery, you can rest assured that it will not result in the death of an innocent sea animal. Saltwater's brewery's approach to beer packaging consists of six-pack rings that are completely biodegradable and edible. They have been made with barley and wheat ribbons from the brewing process known as E6PR, according to Craft Beer. Uh, Even these rings land up in the ocean, but they can be eaten by animals since they are safe and edible. Instead of choking or trapping the marine creatures, it will nourish them. Head of the brand Saltwater Brewery, Peter Agerty, says it's a big investment for a small brewery created by fishermen, surfers, and people who love the sea. Uh, Brewery President Chris Groves notes, We hope to influence the big guys and hopefully inspire them to get on board. People in Florida love to grab a few packs and head out to the beach or go boating with friends and family. The six-pack rings, invented in the 1960s, have harmed many creatures, seabirds, fish, turtles, and this is according to the Miami Times. A lot of the plastic waste lands up in our waterways, and this sustainable approach is a step toward the right direction for the planet. Mark Benfeld of of LSU. An oceanographer found that microscopic uh, microplastic concentrations on the inner shelf of the Gulf of Mexico are the highest in the world. Uh, when the researchers dipped their nets into the Gulf, it came up with plastic every single time. That's just so tragic. Saltwater Brewery supports ocean-friendly charities and organizations like the Surfrider Foundation, the Ocean Foundation, Moat Marine Laboratory and Aquarium, and the Billfish Foundation. They have hosted beach cleanups, tasting sessions, and other efforts to raise money and awareness around this cause that they support. 
Their latest effort, the E6PR, can be found on the brewery's Screamin' Reels IPA. They can also be bought in tasting rooms and in select South Florida stores such as Publix, Total Wine & More, Whole Foods, Market, uh, Lucky's Market, ABC's Fine Wine & Spirits. So this is an interesting little twist. I, I think Corona did something like this too where they had a, was it all cardboard approach or something like that? or something? So they had like a a can that was attached by like a cardboard uh, holder because they have, I have the plastic ones. And, you know, an article like this really makes you stop and think for a second that it is true that uh, it is uh, tough uh, for the environment when you have all these plastics uh, running out there. Real, uh, you know. So now we have a, from the Colorado Sun, a Colorado company wants to let you decide how much alcohol to put in your beer. Tommy Knocker Brewery paired with another Colorado company, Sustainable Beverage Technologies, to offer beer um, with a choice of alcohol levels. I find this hard to believe that this type of process can produce good beer. Because, come on, people people can be quite foolish. But anyway, Idaho Springs. Imagine a day when you can order any beer and decide how much alcohol gets included in the glass. If you want one beer, keep it moderate. But if you plan to drink longer, make it lower and even more now an alcoholic. All the demand and the style of similar quantity. I don't want to go on with this, but he's saying that this brewery is saying that this is the future alcohol by choice. Um, I don't think it's alcohol. I don't think it's the future. Uh, I think this is kind of weird. I, I think this is just kind of weird and, and not, I mean, I, I'm not into this whatsoever. It's the exact same beer, the exact same batch, just the way it's dispensed. The brewer can offer the beer at a variety of APVs. I don't think that's true. I, I, this sounds extremely gimmicky to me. This is only attempt in another place in Helsinki, Finland, but excuse me. This is not going to change traditional beers. It's an interesting concept. Yes, it is. But uh, there's no way you're going to get me a 2% like imperial stout. I just don't think it's actually physically possible for you to do that for me. I mean, this is obviously a gimmick that's geared towards people that think it's cool to have a, maybe like an 18%er or something like that. But, I mean, this is just nonsense. It's actually nonsense. I think this is dumb. But I do think that this is, you know, people trying to claw their way through in, in, a, in a market where it's, it's getting pretty crowded. So now this next thing I have here, it's pretty deep. I found this on a craft beer website, on a craft beer forum that I have on Facebook. And uh, it's a pretty impactful blurb here. I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm going to try to read the whole thing before I pass out. But here it is. I'm leaving the, and this is under uh, an, uh, anonymity, but nonetheless, I'm going to read it here. I'm leaving the craft beer industry. These are my thoughts about the industry moving forward. Craft beer is fucked. And here we go. This is my opinion, which I know will irk some people. Feel free to argue. The industry as a whole is a scummy industry that underpays and overworks. I've seen the small guys reap tremendous profits while trying to screw people on profit sharing. I've also seen the big guys force people into awful predatory repayment contracts. There are very, very few good breweries that are not complete shitbags, and even fewer that are quote-unquote craft beyond the sense that they say they are. From someone who has been working in the beer industry for the better part of a decade, both at big beer and small beer, the following is what I see what will happen. The bubble is here. 
craft beer is fucked. For far too long, small craft breweries after small craft, uh, uh, excuse me, far, for far too long, small craft brewery after small craft brewery has been popping up and they all have been eating the same small part of the pie. Sure, that pie has grown since the start of the resurgence of craft beer, but here's the problem. White Claw. Up until the point, up until this point in craft beer, there has been able, there had, okay, excuse me, I'm so sorry. Up until this point, craft beer has been able to eat into big beer's market share slowly because it has been unchallenged. White Claw, Seltzer, and Kombuchas are now going to start eating into that small sliver beyond beer category. Quote, uh, it's in parentheses. This will make distribution for many craft breweries unattainable. Beer distribution, beer distribution usually sits at a razor-thin margin of 30% as is. That means for a Miller keg, it has a price to retailer, PTR, of $125. The distributor makes $38. For a Ballast Point keg that has a PTR of $210, the distro makes approximately $65. Here's the thing, though. Beer makes money on volume. Even in my craftiest accounts, with a dozen of craft handles, the most popular beers were always Bud Light and Stella. The distributors will always prefer these big-name brands because, in the end, these brands drive volume, and it's volume that drives higher profits. These distributors know that every ballast keg they sell, they will also sell 10 Miller Lite kegs. And this is true for White Claw and other Beyond Beer options. And now we come to White Claw, the Beyond Beer category. According to the IRI Nelsa data, data pulled from large grocery stores from UPC scan codes at the register, White Claw, the brand alone, did more volume than all craft beer combined last year. As a result, distributors have taken notice. Breweries have taken notice as well. Brands like Beaver, Bud Light, Nisaki, Carl Strauss, Coronado, Ballast, Firestone, PBR, and many other legacy breweries are all pumping out their own seltzers. Kombuchas are not far behind, and all these are very quickly eating into the craft beer's share of the pie. Craft is not going to die, but it is fucked. As these beyond beer categories continue to eat into the craft beer uh, pie, large grocery stores will continue expanding the beyond beer sections of their alcohol selections to the detriment of craft beer. This will not eat into big beers such as Miller or Bud, because those brands have entrenched those brands are, are entrenched too heavily on a corporate level with those stores. Uh, as, craft, as craft beer schematic shelf space disappears and large grocery stores disappears, distributors will f- begin excuse me, distributors will begin dropping craft beer in exchange for beyond beer categories. As craft breweries lose shelf space on large grocery stores, their profits will evaporate. Uh, this will cause cr- breweries to go under. Long term, there will be two forms of craft beer left, hyper-local and large craft. The local guys will stick around, but without distribution. Uh, you could still go to the breweries, and uh, but you won't see them at the groceries. You'll see them at uh, smaller amounts in bars, but usually they will do this to advertise the local trap uh, uh, tap room. The other form of craft you'll see 
is large craft. Uh, you will still see brands like Lessian or Hop Valley because they're owned by Big Beer. Uh, Big Beer will continue to focusing their distribution houses to sell these brands because they invested money to acquire the brands and they want to see profit. You'll still see craft brands at grocery stores, but they'll be exclusively largely owned craft beers. Ironically, as much possible, uh, as much as people shit on Budweiser buying craft and how these brands are quote-unquote sellouts, I predict their brands will be the only ones widely available as the bubble bursts beyond and decimates true craft beer. Craft beer is fucked. Now, this is a very depressing article to read or a very depressing um, blurb to read. Maybe I'm not so much of a doom crier in terms of where craft beer is going. Living in New York City, I mean, it is... Staten Island, the fifth borough, but still the tri-state area. I don't think that this is going to really affect me and you in terms of those here that are local. I think that the craft breweries in New York will be able to sustain. I think they'll be able to have their own festivals and their own uh, exchanges. Like I think that here, craft beer will be fine. I do think, however, in the flyover states, so to speak, in those areas that are not as urban, that's where you might actually feel a hit. There's going to have your, like you said, your legacy craft breweries. I'd say Bell's would be okay. Greenhouse would be okay. Um, the And your local, local. Like for me, Flagship will be all right. You know, Killsborough will be all right. Because they're, they're, they're well established here on the island. There's going to be some places out there in, in, in that Ohio, out there to California flyover country where there might be some people that can't distribute and they're going to, they might fall to the wayside. Like Wyabacher, maybe not Wyabacher because they're out of Eastern Pennsylvania, but they're pretty big. But, you know, it, it, it's an interesting time right now because he, you know, as this author, and I don't have an, even a name for the guy. We're in the bubble right now, so it is a wonderful time for craft beer. What does this even mean for the podcast? Does this mean that I won't have as many beers to review? Will there be any beer news if there's no craft breweries around? What am I going to do? I'm pretty sure we'll figure it out. I think everything will be okay. And, you know, maybe I'm not so, like I said, I'm not so much of a doom crier, so maybe it's uh, not going to be as bad as this guy says. Maybe there's going to be a slight retraction. And maybe that slight retraction is actually good because some breweries can maybe go back to the basics and the new breweries that are popping up, kind of like Ribsom and Horman, giving you that old style flavor, that old style of beer that I think the scene might be in need of. I think we need to go back to the basics, so to speak, and not have a hibiscus cucumber goes, if I may say so myself. But it's time for me to review the beer of this week. I'm going to pause this and go over to the fridge. It's a little hard for me to do that because of the knee. But I love you guys, and I'll be right back. Let me go do that right now. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. Like I said before, we are drinking from the Nishimini. Nishimini Creek Brewing Company out of, uh, where was it again? I saw it on here, Croydon, Pennsylvania. Interesting can here. I really love it. It's a, it's a bunch of hops on a stage in like a small nightclub playing rock and roll music. I mean, I'm assuming it's a hardcore punk band. The hops are screaming. There's people dead in the crowd, some mohawks. They're pointing at some scared hops. 
while singing. The crowd loves it. But nonetheless, a really, really interesting can. But I'm going to get right into the pour. And it pours a, I mean, a beautiful beer. So when, um, it's so interesting. So, hold on, let me focus on the pour here because I, I do screw these up sometimes. Perfect. Tall boy cans. What a pour. Two fingers at, oh my God, the aroma. Jesus, it's it repeats itself. Oh, deep amber color. Lots of activity in the glass. I'm talking flakes. I'm talking carbonation. I'm talking two fingers ahead. I'm talking lacing. All right, we got floaties in here, some flakes. Not too crazy, but they're there. They're definitely there. You see some carbonation coming up. Deep amber color, copper color. It's a, it's an imperial IPA, so it's it's you know it's going to be a big boy. And uh, just looking at it here in the Pete Sullivan glass, it's it's got power to it. So then we get to the smell, and I quoted myself saying, I don't want to stop smelling this beer, and it's true. When I first started this review earlier in the evening, I, I just kept smelling the beer over and over and over again, and it was just, you didn't want to stop. You just did not want to stop. It has such a wonderful, wonderful aroma, so floral, so spicy. You get a whiff of Citra and Simcoe big time. Sort of reminiscent of the Citrus uh, Snuggie, which was on the Mount Rushmore. Just so good and so big on the piney smell, too. Like, I feel like the orange aroma is there and it almost matches the color. It's dank. It's resinous. It's powerful. I mean, this. Oh, man, you could just if you're just like a hop head, so to speak, you could just keep your nose in here all night. Oh, delightful. Absolutely delightful. And let's get to the taste. Mm. <sighs> Woo! Oh, how about that bitter? Juice versus bitter. I mean, this is the one thing that we always come down to when it comes to these IPAs, right? You have your juice bombs, which are, you, you have the word juice bomb when it comes to a really well done New England saw IPA. But when you have this old school bitter bomb, I mean, you call them bitter bombs? What do we have a word for something that just punches you in the mouth with excellent, piney, bitter, hop flavor, but isn't a juice bomb? It's dry. It's the opposite. What do you call that? What do you call that? Cotton, cotton, cotton mouth bomb? What do you call that? I don't know. But it's a bitter bomb. You got your juice bombs, your bitter bombs. So if you, you're going to, you know... If you're going to put that moniker on an IPA, you got to put it with this one here. And it is a bitter bomb, ladies and gentlemen. Now, to some, that uh, this bitter finish could be a little bit off-putting. Not to me. If I had to choose between this beer and, like, Hop Slam, I would go Shape of Hops. That's the name of it, by the way. I keep saying that we're having a beer from um, Neshaminy Creek, but it's called The Shape of Hops to Come. And you can probably find this at Joe Canals right now. Unbelievable. Okay. 8.5% alcohol by volume. You don't get that at all. There's zero alcohol burn. I repeat, zero alcohol burn. You've got to be careful with this one, boys and girls. It can run you into some trouble. I had to start the show early because, because Dom was getting a little lit. Okay. This is a big beer, big, bold flavor. Pineapple, mango up front. Grapefruit is in there. Hops, hops, hops. Okay. 
This is so powerful. I'm going to read the side of the game here for you. It says here, hey, baby, you never felt this good. Freedom through the liquid, and you wish you could take a sip. Do a dance and get lost on a crusade. Jump on this hop train with destination unknown. We're all dressed up. We've got nowhere to go. Five kettle hops, five kettle hops, and a two-week dry hopping to give the West Coast-style Imperial India Pale Ale some notes of resinous pine, tangerine, grapefruit, and all the dank. Can I scream? Yes, you can. Because it is there. The Citra and the Simcoe, as in the aroma, they really push their way through here, and it is fucking delightful. Okay? The orange, the grapefruit, a little bit of the pineapple there, all that piney hop bitterness. What an awesome beer. I mean, really and truly, I'm sitting here and I am just smitten with this one. This is a throwback beer right here. Delicate malt flavor throughout to remind you that it's there, but the hops are the star of the fucking show with this beer. This is something that I am so glad that I was able to pick up. Okay, and boy, do they live up to their description, and it delivers so hard. This is one of the toughest beers I had to score, really and truly, because, you know, I do this Mount Rushmore system where you're saying, what are the best of the best? And I'm going to go back because what I had here written down and what I what I reviewed was Peak Skills uh, Eastern Standard IPA. And this one was really good. And as I had written here, it was a little bit of a juice bomb, but not quite right. But I said that there was a German characteristic there that throughout made me extremely happy. And you know what? That's why, you know, whatchamacallit, Eastern Standard got an 8.8. I'm going to give this an 8.7 because I can't put this on the Mount Rushmore. I just can't. Is it fucking delicious and crushable and fantastic? Yes, it is. 8.5% masked well. Such a good beer. Such a well-rounded, powerful beer. It gets an honorable mention because there's just something that for me personally, okay, and I think that's what's important is that I have to keep it within my realm in terms of what's personable and stuff. The German aspect of what Eastern Standard was presenting in terms of their, whether it was the yeast or the malts that came through with a, with even though they had a laid back hop slamish juice bomb, it stayed on the 8.8 .8 scale because of that German characteristic. This particular, the shape of hops to come, I want to give it an 8.9. I do, I do, I really do, but I just can't do that because, hold on, let me get a, oh, oh, full, hold on. Okay. <sighs> do I want to do it? I'm doing it. Fuck it. 8.9. Yeah. It's making it. The shape of hops to come has made it to the Mount Rushmore, taking over Eastern Standard. The Chemony Creek Brewing Company. I mean, what a complete beer. And that's why it's going to take the 8.9 and overtake Eastern Standard on the, on the Mount Rushmore. I'm going to write it down right now in front of all of you right here to see that it has won. I mean, what a powerhouse. I'm writing it down right now. 8.9. So it overtakes Eastern Standard. So we have ourselves a Mount Rushmore. 
Still haven't had a stout yet to take over Lucius. We haven't done anything in terms of the seasonal because I can't find any winter fucking beers. And uh, what is it here? And like I said before here, uh, Five Bar Pilsner is still in the lager position. So season three, so far, we, we've been in the ale category like you wouldn't believe, and we have two Mount Rushmore beers there. I don't think anyone's going to take uh, Lucius over, but nonetheless, we have these these Mount Rushmore here. I'm trying to be a little bit more stringent, uh, strict, uh, strict, strict with how I go about um, rating these beers because I think I owe that to the people. But I'm telling you right now, if you are able to go to Joe Canals or anywhere that this beer might be available, the Shimini, the Shimini, and the Shamini Creek Brewing Company. The Shape of Hops to Come, a throwback, something that I know you would enjoy, especially you guys who are listening to the show for a long time. You know good beer when it's on your palate uh, and it's in your glass. Shape of Hops to Come, go find it. It's in a silver can with some hops playing some hardcore punk, I'm going to say. Fantastic beer, fantastic show, fantastic people. I am so glad that you all are here. I can't wait to do next week's show. I can't wait to be All in the mix, baby. I love you all. God bless you all. And I can't wait to talk to you again. Take care. Have a great week. And be well, everybody. Life is good. Cheers. (laughs)